Hello, this is Travis Warren. And this is Matthew Noble. Welcome to Warren and Noble on Movies. Today, it's part two of our discussion on Brian De Palma's 1984 Body Double. And yes, we should open by... Well, well, I'll open by asking the important question, which is... Why do you think Jake Scully pockets Gloria's underwear in that scene? I have no idea. Um, huh. It's, uh... The, the only sort of way I can articulate it is, I think it's an extension of the telescope mentality of, and it Hence why De Palma repeats that Pino Donaggio score at this point, which is he looks through the telescope at the woman he thinks is Gloria and keeps looking because he's able to get away with it and because there's no consequences of it. And because he's given that opportunity, he grabs it. And because he's been rewarded for grabbing that opportunity by being allowed to see this beautiful undressed woman when the opportunity presents itself for him to then continue to indulge in his most people would say deviant behavior and he's got the chance to grab Gloria's underwear he sort of thinks because there's not going to be any repercussions, he thinks. He's like, okay. He's he's in that mindset now, and I think it's it lets the audience know where he is mentally. Yeah, uh, I would agree, yeah. And also, would it be fair to say that that's a, quite an unheroic thing for him to do? Yeah, he's really just, I think he's just kind of gone off the deep end by this point. It's, um, I sent you a tweet a while back where someone referred to Body Double as like De Palma's perversion of the hero's journey. And I think that's a prime example of that, the fact that for all intents and purposes, Body Double is kind of a hero's journey story. Like, Jake is essentially a Luke Skywalker kind of figure who's transformed by his experiences. But because it's De Palma, he twists and turns things whenever he gets the chance. And so he makes the ca the guy that we're kind of rooting for throughout this actually a bit, you know... Well, a bit of a pervert. Yeah, um... Son's character... There's a definite... kind of thing to him where you're rooting for him in one sense. You're also a little repulsed by him in some ways. Like... Like... Was it necessary to take that underwear? I don't think so. It's, 
Yeah, it's that fine line between... Because I think, at least for me, I do see, like, towards the beginning there's a sense of you almost kind of want to relate to Jake Scully because he is kind of the underdog figure and he's, like, comes across as a normal guy with some measure of decency. But at the same time, he also does have that side of him, which it's that feeling of wanting to relate to the character, but also there's a bit of distance possibly created by having him have that side to his character. And it's I, I feel like, like that's very much up to the individual, how much of themselves they see in Jake Scully. Uh, after the mall scene, that when, I guess that's when he follows her to the beach. Hmm, because it's a, is it like a beachside motel that she's staying at? This is where she's supposed to meet her lover, or what I take to be, uh, what De Palma's trying to say with her. You know, talking to this mysterious person on the phone. It's uh, very heavy, heavily implied. And there's a moment where she, like, gets the key for the motel room. And the guy who gives, gives her the key kind of watches her as she walks away. That's something I only noticed this time. I, I didn't notice it this time, so yeah, I'll be looking out for that. Um, I don't know if I mentioned before, did I mention the sort of the sunglasses as well, that they're kind of obscuring her face throughout this section? I think so, yeah. It's and Especially, you really notice it in the elevator, but actually I love the lighting, and especially you can see this on the Blu-ray, the fact that when they see the um, the Indian through the elevator doors, like you, you can obviously see Wasan's expression, but actually, even through her sunglasses, you can see her eyes looking at him and being sort of quite scared. So, but yes, yeah, so she she goes to the motel, and uh, Jake has followed her there, and. Is this an actual motel in LA? I guess it must be. It's very, it's very distinctive. It probably is, but it, it reminded me again of something out of Jack Tati. Just maybe it reminded me of like, I haven't seen, uh, Major Hello's Holiday, but it looks like something out of that. It's um, looking at the various filming locations of this. I th I think it is definitely a real motel. It's yeah, it's on it's Long Beach. It says here. So, and also it mentions the the tunnel that Jake then chases the Indian through later on is also on Long Beach, but the tunnel is now closed off. 
Well, I guess that's one scene I won't be reenacting. <laughs> that's which which one of us gets to be Jake and which one of us gets to wear the string vest. I just want to do the howl the Indian does when he gets the key. <laughs> With, with his arms stretched up. Yes. Um, <laughs> eh, find another location for that. But, um, yeah, so we see... What I love about the layout of this motel, and you can imagine, like, De Palmer, one of his guys, location scouting, or, like, maybe coming across it one day while writing the script... And it's just the way it's laid out on these multiple levels, sort of on just looking out over the beach. And there's like a winding sort of staircase thing that goes through all the, basically gives you access to all the levels of the motel. And Jake goes up and down and notices that like the motel room above Gloria's has just recently been vacated. So he goes up and goes to the balcony of that one and looks over at her balcony. And that that's when she gets the phone call, isn't it, from her from her lover that she's expecting to turn up there. Yep. And it, why does he break break off their meeting? Do you think? Do you have any sort of theories? Not really. Just yeah, I really don't know. It's um. I guess this this ties into Gloria's characterization a bit, although actually here's a theory I want to run past you. What if the guy that Gloria has been having this affair with is the same guy that's sleeping with Carol at the start of the film? That would be interesting. That's I, I I don't know I just I'd love it if like that guy like maybe you saw him somehow through some machination of the film and like it's the same actor just to like just to mess with Jake somehow uh but yeah so he like the guy over the phone we don't hear his side of the conversation but basically he's not coming to see gloria and she feels isolated and let down as a result of this and i feel like this kind of ties into the thing with gloria where we don't get a lot of her like her, her as an actual character we see a lot of how jake perceives her but which is very intentional, I think. But the stuff we do get of her, where the way she behaves when she thinks that no one's watching, is you get the sense that she's quite a lonely character and she's quite a vulnerable character. And in particular that she has really troubled relationships with the men in her life, whether it's her husband 
or this guy that she's having an affair with and that maybe that's like a key element of her character. You definitely... There's definitely more to her than we see and I think De Palma does a good job of showing that there's, you know, a real person there rather than just rather than just helpless kind of character that she actually, you know, has things going on in her life. Hmm. That she, that she isn't just like a fantasy figure for Jake. Because it is kind of interrogating that idea a little bit that, and I kind of mentioned this last time, the idea of like, there's the person you see and there's the person they actually are. And especially when it comes to like being attracted to someone, you have to be sort of mindful of, are you attracted to the person themselves, or are you attracted to the idea of that person, like what they could be to you? And I think that's something that Jake is sort of falling into that trap a little bit, is he has an idea of who Gloria is, but he doesn't really know who Gloria is. He doesn't know, you know, her background. Like, later on he finds out that she's really wealthy, but he doesn't necessarily know that here. And so, what happens after this? Is this, does she go down to the beach, or does Jake go first? I think, does he not spot, I think she goes down to the beach, and then he, like, looks, no wait, he goes down first, like, goes past, and she actually spots him at that point. And I think that's the first time she definitely... Well, well, she sees him in the elevator, but she then sees him again on the beach. Which, he's, he's doing a bad job of following her in that case. But he he then goes up and looks over the balcony, and then as she goes down to the beach, he sees the Indian and runs up to her. And it's it's kind of that continuation of... Well, this is the kind of trope that was kind of prevalent in the sort of, maybe not the Bond films as such, although some of them, but like Bond novels in particular, the idea that Bond is attracted to the Bond girl because he feels like she needs to be rescued. Or, and and sometimes that's not even the case. Like if you read the books, the Bond girls, even though like the writing of them, like their voices and their personalities can kind of blur together, they do tend to be quite independent figures. And it's that idea, I think that's very much the case here, that Jake sees Gloria as a bird with a wing down and he want, wants to help her and it's tying into this idea that he sees her as someone that needs to be saved. And of course, when he sees the Indian, he's like, the Indian might do something, I've got to save her. This is where he, uh, <clears throat> he talks to her for the first time. 
and he says, you know, I think you're or you're being followed, and she says, I know, and they kind of, she, I think this is, she takes her glasses off, right? Yes, I, I think so, and yeah, because he approaches her and says, excuse me, someone's following you, she says, I know, and he kind of pauses and goes, well, it's not me. And they kind of stare at each other for a couple seconds. Then you see, in between them, you see the Indian starting to run. And then he grabs her purse mm. and uh, Jake uh, chases after him. Although I love the, sh the series of shots leading up to that where Jake can see the Indian, like they're going through, was it like tents or something or like little, there's like a line of uh, beach markers or I don't even know what, what they're called, but like, like structures on the beach and like as Jake's like looking through the gaps in the line of beach structures he can see the Indian and then he doesn't see the Indian and it creates this great sort of tension and that's very that's something that De Palma likes to do is like create like parallel parallel lines in a shot whether he's like panning or I keep going back to that shot in Carrie where you see her weaving out in and out between trees and the camera goes back and forth to the left side of the trees and the right side of the trees. The score during this scene is really good. And, you know, the chase scene. Is that the first time that we get sort of the, um, the set piece sort of action motif that is sort of runs throughout this film? We get, we get it later on during the drill scene. Yeah. So yeah, um, Jake's chasing the Indian, um, and they go up these steps, and there's a moment where Jake almost catches the Indian. He he touches him, and then the Indian kind of kind of shakes him off and starts running down this tunnel. Jake starts running down the tunnel, and then suddenly he stops, and the music the kind of claustrophobia music kind of kicks in and he makes the tortured, pained face when his claustrophobia sets in. Which it's, uh, yeah, music crashes in and it's very... That is something that credit to Wasson because he does pull off that idea that the character is genuinely in like severe distress as a result of this. And there is something as well to be said about Jake's like perceived masculinity and like his perceived strength because when he does almost catch the Indian, you do kind of sense like. Well, if he does catch him, what's he going to do with him? Because I think if they fight, this Indian guy looks like he could easily beat him up. Like, Jake doesn't seem like a particularly physically imposing guy. And so I think that extends to, like, this whole scene where 
his claustrophobia sets in and he's frozen like he can't move he's just clinging onto the wall and the indian just like like rummages through gloria's handbag as he's watching and like you say he like finds the key card what what turns out later to be a key card we can only see like it's a card thing and he looks at jake and like does the sort of the arms above the head and howls that sort of that piercing yell before running off And uh, what do you think of the lighting of this, by the way? Because it's like at the upper end of the tunnel, you get this sort of blinding white light. Like when Jake, you know, experiences claustrophobic, uh, the claustrophobia overcomes him. Maybe he's more sensitive to light. Or maybe he's, he like gets tunnel vision. I think you're right, and there's a great sort of that really ties into the finale as well. When um, when he's looking up through through the grave, and it does the same effect, and actually it transitions from pitch black to white, and it's such a brilliant cinematic device that sort of recreates what we see in the tunnel here. And it actually does remind me if I saw a tweet earlier on. And it's exactly this kind of effect. It's like the opening sequence in The Blues Brothers when John Belushi is released from prison and it opens the door to the prison to let him out and there's this blinding bright light behind John Belushi and people were sort of asking on Twitter like, what the hell was the light source for that? It's brighter than the sun. And it's almost the same thing here, like, at the other end of the tunnel is, like, a bright, bright white light that you can almost imagine, like, De Palma filming at that tunnel and then setting up, like, a massive light projector thing at the other end to get his shot. Um, so, after the Indian takes something from Gloria's purse... He, you know, he runs out of the tunnel, and then Jake kind of, kind of overcomes his claustrophobia a little bit, and you know, is, he goes, he either does he go through a purse or just he's putting stuff back. He, he kind of slides down the wall and then crawls towards her purse, like slides along the side of the wall, like all the while sort of clinging to the wall, and then goes to her her purse or handbag and starts putting stuff back in. At which point Gloria herself finally arrives and like I I, I noticed like she kind of came from she she must have come the exact same way, and I'm just imagining like while all this is going on, like her just sort of not quite running down the beach, because I think she is in heels, for one thing. But like, I'm just like imagining her going in across the sand in heels after Jake and the Indian. Yeah, that would have been uh, De Palma's homage to Jurassic World. <laughs> He's predating it by three decades. 
That's yeah, that very much running in heels makes for interesting action in films, of course. Uh, but yeah, Gloria turns up and helps Jake to his feet, gets gets her purse back, and he he's he says he's out of breath and asks if she can help him back to like the of the end of the tunnel that he from where they came in. Do you think she realizes that he he's not just out of breath, like there is something wrong, like he's got either claustrophobia or something similar? I'm not sure. I think it's it's one of those like looking at her performance, I can almost take it either way that either she doesn't question it or she thinks he's not just out of breath, something's wrong, I should probably help him. I can see that. And that that's a very good sort of brief part of the scene as well, is her supporting him as he walks towards the tunnel and, like, he looks back and forth from the end of the tunnel to her face and just, like, he's slowly coming back to himself and yes this is one of the most interesting parts of the film i think it's fair to say is the this actual interaction between jake and gloria so yeah w w what are your thoughts on this bit definitely one of the strangest uh, screen kisses of all time and maybe the most stylish too it's, well, uh... Uh, well you could say it's also maybe the most choreographed kiss ever on film there, there's like an entire movement chart that you could draw up as to how this kiss is staged it's um that <laughs> that line from the princess bride in the in the entire history of the world there have been five kisses that etc etc this one left them all in the dust and it's like yeah it's it's one of those where because we know his motivations for <clears throat> for why he wants to kiss her and that's the thing that I'm I'm was curious about rewatching this is why does Gloria kiss him? Because what happens is like they get to the end of the tunnel, <clears throat> and she clearly knows that he's been following her, and sort of kind of calls him out on it. Says, you know, I know you've been following me, and sort of asks for his reasoning behind it. But there is kind of a pause, and it's like he doesn't quite. He kind of looks at her sheepishly, and there's not like that. That's one good thing about his performance is like you can tell like he's like he would come across as a non-threatening person to her. But yeah, so she's like you know. What, what, why have you been following me? And he doesn't really give an answer. And there's a moment between them 
and then they kiss. So my my theory is is that because of her, Gloria's relationship with her husband and because she feels betrayed by this affair that she's been having when she sees Jake and especially like the fact that he's tried to do something nice for her because he genuinely tried to get her purse back and also the fact that he's expressed vulnerability in front of her because he needed help getting out of the tunnel and it is clearly there's something wrong with him I think she's kind of overcome with feeling towards him at that point and there is maybe the beginnings of a connection or what could be a connection starting to form as a result I, I don't know what do you think I agree with you I think that because I was wondering myself before I rewatched it you know like so what happens before they kiss like why does she kiss him and um yeah, I think you're right that it's because of, you know, he tried to help her and, you know, he showed vulnerability. It's, you know, just kind of a spur of the moment thing. And also, like, <clears throat> the way the kiss is presented to us. You're right, the sort of the choreography, the staging, because the camera it's like an it's like that three hundred and sixty degree shot from Carrie, like when um Sissy Spacek and William Cat are dancing at the prom. But more so, like the camera's slightly further back, it's a medium shot. And the screen behind them is like, you can tell they've done this on blue screen or something like that. And there's rear projection that they've they've filmed footage off the beach in the tunnel and they are projecting it behind them because it doesn't quite match up, but it's not meant to. And they're, we're spinning around to Jake and Gloria all the while, spinning and spinning and spinning as they're spinning around each other. Because the kiss starts out one way, and then she turns around, and then he, he's not quite turned around, but he's turning her around. And the music is swelling, like it's this love theme kicks in that's just like ecstatic in every way you'd expect. Where it's like the most dramatic movie kiss romance music you could possibly imagine. And my my question is, is that the kiss that actually happens in universe? Or is that the kiss as it happens in Jake's mind? That's the that's a good question. Um I'm not entirely sure, but I have a question for you. Has anybody okay. in the history of the world ever danced, ever kissed like this? Not in my experience, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. So... Can you imagine witnessing that? Just They just cut to a bunch of bystanders staring at them. 
it's it's probably for the best that no one else witnesses this. Yeah. <laughs> it's because someone else like it, it is the kind of case that really only works in cinema and in this kind of film and in this kind of De Palma film but It's maybe the only moment that I could see taking someone out of the film, but it it does it doesn't for me. But I think it could for others because it is so. It's so vivid and it's so, it's such a statement. And like, cause. It goes beyond a kiss as well, because, like, part of her dress is down by by the end of it, and, like, he's, like, maybe had, like, her ha- his hand on her breast, and, like, it's going to, like, like, if she doesn't break it off, it's going to go to second base, or thereabouts, but she does break it off, and she, what is it she says, like, I can't do this not here, or something like that. And she she runs into the tunnel, and my question actually another another relevant question is, if the next sequence didn't happen, if there wasn't this whole plan that Jake and Gloria are now involved in, if that wasn't the thing, and like I don't know, say like something happened to the Indian who turns out to be Mister Ravel. Like, I don't know, like, he falls into a manhole cover and dies or something. And, like, like let's say, like, Ravel dies and, like, Jake then finds a way to get in touch with Gloria. Could they feasibly have a relationship? Or is this never going to go anywhere? I don't really... No, I don't go one way or the other. I'm not necessarily sure how it could how it would go, but it's possible it could, you know, the relationship could continue. I think Jake would need to sort of recognize that Gloria the person is probably different from the Gloria that he has in his mind. But if he got over that, then maybe. And also, I think from Gloria's perspective, like, I I think it is an indictment of the like the various sort of relationships and men in her life. The fact that Jake, off the free that we know, like, Mister Reveal, this implied affair, and Jake, like the the guy who's following her, who has pocketed her underwear is seen as, like, the the best option out of the three of them. It's, uh... I think it is, like, De Palma, like... <laughs> if this came out now, people would say that De Palma was, like, commenting on the idea of the quote-unquote nice guy in, in media. Like, the idea that Jake's an inherently nice guy, but on the other hand he pocketed her underwear. (laughs) 
which <laughs> which leads to one of the best lines in the film, which I can't repeat because <laughs> it involves a curse word, which is Jake <laughs> back at the back at the house on the phone, sort of pr miming like imagining what he'll say to Gloria when he calls her number and saying, Hey Gloria, it's it's Jake. I'm the guy that what what what, what can we say about this yeah, quote? I'm I'm the guy who almost points you at the beach. <laughs> and he sort of puts the phone down and it's like Nah, I can't see that. <laughs> it's like ever since my first viewing that line just gets me. It's like, yeah, don't say that. So, yes, um, this is kind of the beginning of the, the biggest, what, would it be fair to call this, like, the biggest set piece of the film, or one of the biggest? Yeah, I, I'd definitely say this is kind of the most important, well, you know, kind of the biggest set piece in the movie. Certainly the most violent. And, yeah, so what's the structure of this so like he like he looks through the well actually he gets the call from uh sam first and i guess this is like sam slash reveals big thing of like he has to be present he has to be witnessing this and he's like he's doing it on the pretense of checking in with him but he wants him to be looking at Gloria's apartment, Gloria's house, to make sure that he witnesses this. And I love the fact that we can't see the Indian at this point while Sam is talking to him. And because it is fun actually to imagine like him on the phone as Sam talking to him while dressed as the Indian. Just like that Indian guy, just like talking in the normal Sam voice, like the Greg Henry voice. So, yes, he looks through, he sees like, because hasn't like Gloria come home? It, is, it, is it like a cop that's escorted or, or is it like, uh, like the, a tenant's guy or something like that, like to let her in? I think it's like... Maybe like a maintenance man or somebody. Yeah. Because the, the Indian took her key and she can't get back in her apartment. So that's kind of the the setup. And she, she goes back into her house and Jake's watching. And then he realizes that the Indian is there and he's in... He's broken into her safe, which is hidden behind uh, a mirror in her bedroom. And we notice that he's broken in by using a drill, like a big, massive electric drill, which pre presumably he like chose his moment to do that. And sort of just when no one was home... Which begs another question, which is, 
you know, I know when it, when the plot is explained later, Jake's whole thing is that he was meant to be the witness to the murder. Did Sam always intend to kill Gloria, or was it a spur of the moment thing, where like he won? Was it intended as a theft first, or was it always going to be you no? Know, he would steal and then he would kill her. Um, that's a good question. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but... Yeah, I'm not sure. I, th I think... The more I think about it, the more I think, like, Sam slash Reveal is sick enough and the, the fact that he's come up with this plan in the first place probably means that he was always intending to kill her because if he's crazy enough and driven enough to come up with this whole elaborate plot then he probably did do it as a means to murder yeah. her so yes this whole thing like Jake is watching through the telescope he sees that the Indian is there like Gloria comes upstairs, the Indian hides, and this is really suspenseful the first time you see it as well because you don't know what's going to happen. But and it's still suspenseful on rewatch, but still like that first time you're like, oh my god, he's in her room and she's just gone into her room, and there's like Jake has no real way of communicating with her other than calling the house. And, yeah, like, what, does she, like, go to, like, put on the shower or something? Or run a bath? Yeah, I think so. And it's it's the only time in the film, actually, that you see any sort of anything close to, like, nudity, although it's not actually nudity, from Deborah Shelton is you see her in her underwear as she's getting undressed, and then, like, she puts on a bathrobe or something. And, but it's sort of that vulnerability as well. It's like, I, I guess it's the same principle as, like, the end of Dress to Kill when Nancy Allen's in the shower. The idea that De Palma's, like, it's not necessarily for titillation. It's the fact that no, she's really vulnerable when she's in this state and someone's looking to do her harm. Uh, so, so Jake does ring uh, Gloria's number. How, how does he get Gloria's number? Is it... Does he look her up in the phone book, or does he get something from her purse? I think either. Yeah, I think either way would be. Either way, I don't. I don't really have a guess. That's one of these things. What's <laughs> that's a very cinema sins question. I'm embarrassed now. But like, yes, it's uh so he does call her and I'm not entirely sure like he doesn't really have a plan, I guess, but he's just like like I need to warn her somehow. So he rings her. 
and she comes out of the bathroom in her her nighty her dressing gown and he's just gets enough time to say something along the lines of he's behind you look out before the Indian grabs the phone off her and start ties the phone cord around her neck and starts trying to choke the life out of her which that's and like Jake takes off running and this is filmed quite horrifically as well because you see her eyes bulging her feet kicking like you see his eyes the indians like just filled with malice and the the cord tightening around her neck which that feels like something like i know there's a similar shot in kill bill like when um the bride is fighting gogo where like Gogo like winds something around her neck and you see it just tightening and it's horrible. So I'm guessing like De Palma did that deliberately. Uh, Tarantino did that deliberately. The ending of Deep Red. Uh, vaguely, yes. R remind me. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen Deep Red, but the ending involves a necklace kind of choking somebody so it reminds me of that a little bit do you think De Palma had seen a deep red probably or... a coincidence I just I just thought of it just because it just reminded me of that That would be that. That's an interesting thing, though. What like what Argento and De Palma films would make good double features? Like what what's a good De Palma film that you would pair with something like Deep Red? Probably Dress to Kill. It Dress to Kill, I think, would apply for a lot of them. I think it is probably. It is De Palma's Jello film, more so than Body Double. Like Body Double is has Jello elements, sort of by its very nature, but not in the same way that Dress to Kill does. Uh, but yeah, what does does Gloria like knee him? Or knee the Indian or, like, kick him or something and, like... Because he gets winded and, like, briefly passes out. Is this where he plugs in the... Or brings out the chainsaw or... What, what is it? It's a drill, yeah. It's you. You're getting you're getting this confused with that bit from Scarface, which you you can kind of imagine as well. Like De Palma coming up with this, like clearly being so annoyed at the censors, like the grief they gave him over the chainsaw and Scarface, and just being like, "Well, you think that's bad," and just like. And 
I know that people did give him grief for the drill as well when he was like, well, there's a plot reason for it. Like, he's got the drill because he's breaking into the safe and he just happens to use that as a murder weapon. And I think he was something that uh, Tarantino got some grief for as well, but like De Palma especially, like his violence in films and his violence towards women. And I think there are interesting conversations to be had, but I think his whole defense of it boils down to the kind of movies he's making, but also... And this, going back to like the thing of um, Nancy Allen in the shower at the end of Dress to Kill, is, you know, he was asked about that and he says, well, if I put Roy Scheider in the shower at the end of Dress to Kill, you're not going to worry about him. Because Roy Scheider, you know, beat Jaws. And it's as a thing of like, if you put naked wet Nancy Allen in the shower and then you put a killer in the bathroom the audience is going to be much more worried about her when Alma was going through uh, the thing about you know them wanting Scar to give Scarface an X he said if this one he said this about body double if this one doesn't get an X Nothing I ever do is going to. This is going to be the most erotic and surprising and thrilling movie I know how to make. I'm going to give them everything they hate and more of it than they've ever seen. They think Scarface was violent. They think my other movies were erotic. Wait until they see Body Double. And in a way, that ethos carries into every frame of this film. And did he have to edit that much off-body double to get it an R? I'm not sure. I get the impression that he may have had to, like, touch a couple of things here and there. Like, maybe, like... Like, some of the earlier stuff of when he's looking through the telescope, I think it was maybe slightly more explicit, like, the idea that she was... That, that she was doing things to herself while on the bed, sort of writhing about. Like, maybe that was a bit it says more obvious. It was initially given an X, and he had, a, he had to re-edit it, and he, he cut a few minor things... From the um, it says the porno movie scene. I don't know if it's that it's the relaxed scene or I guess it's not the Holly does Hollywood kind of trailer he watches. Yeah, or like the the stuff that he fast forwards through. Yeah, maybe. I can see that. It's... I think the only bit that would be cut for violence, I'm guessing, is the drill scene. And it is thrillingly executed, this whole scene. Like, especially if you're watching this for the first time. 
because you don't know how far he's going to go. And Jake is running, like, he's ran down the stairs from the house and he's running down the driveways and the roads towards and like he comes across some joggers and i love the fact that they've got like headphones like they've got a walkman or something so he kind of they have no idea he's behind them and he kind of has a woman's being murdered call the police rip off their walkmans I wonder what they're listening to. I, I, I bet you it's Frankie Goes to Hollywood. <laughs> and, yeah, he's running towards the house, and, like, he eventually reaches the house, and he's struggling to get in. And meanwhile, like, Gloria had passed out briefly, or, like, she she comes to, and she's coughing and coughing, because and, she's been strangled, and she's not recovered from it. And she dials nine one one, but she can't even say anything to the to the operator. And at that point, the Indian then wakes up, and then he plugs in the electric drill and turns it on. And it's like, is it like trigger operated or something? So like he sort of goes like that to turn yeah. it on. Like you said, this is definitely one of the most memorable set pieces in any of De Palma's films. It is thrillingly executed, like you said. And especially because the only reason that Jake doesn't save Gloria from what's about to happen is because of that wretched white dog that attacks him which I'm guessing it must be Mr. Ravel's dog and I don't know if it's like a dog that he's only just got or if it was Gloria's dog as well but like he tries to get go upstairs and the dog just leaps at him and starts trying to bite his face off Which, I haven't seen the Samuel Fuller film, White Dog, but I understand it's the same canine actor. And it's like, like, De Palma specifically, like, he saw White Dog and really enjoyed the film, and he was like, okay, I need to have that same dog in this film. I need that dog. I don't care how much money he asked for. Pay him all of it. Oh, all, all the treats. All, you give him his own trailer. I don't care. <laughs> he get he, someone else. Wait, get gets him another dog and paints it white. Uh. But yeah, that's... I can't imagine there being... I mean, I guess, like, maybe the similar... Like, the only comparison I can think of is if nowadays, like, there was a thriller coming out now that had the, the dog from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and it was the same actor. Like, so, like someone watches Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and they've got this thriller in mind that has a dog in it and they're just like, 
I want that same dog. I, I can see that dog attacking the characters in my movie the exact same way. Which I do love as well, like the um like the fact that when you have canine actors or feline actors in movies and they wind up doing some publicity. Like you can see them at premieres and stuff. Like I know for a fact there was a screening of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where the canine actor that played Brandy was there with the handler. And like people got to meet it and pet pet her and like get photos with her and so on and i think like it was the same with that pet cemetery remake that came out a few years ago like there was the cat actor was at the premiere i can just can you imagine if they did that with this like they did a premiere for body double and the white dog is there yeah <laughs> nobody would want to go near it <laughs> don't get a photo, don't ask for an autograph. <laughs> no, bite, bite off your hands. So, yeah, it's, um... So while Jake is contending with this dog... Well, first of all, the Indian gets Gloria with the drill, like he hits her in the back with it, like, grazes her with it, which is nasty enough. And, like, she's, like, they play around to where, like, he almost gets her and, like, the wire's not long enough with the extension cable. So, like, it, the drill almost gets her, but and she's cornered, but he can't reach her to impale her with it. And then, like, where does she, like, cross the room and then trip and... It's really vicious, this shot. Like, she's on the ground, and he gets over the top of her, and then puts his boot on what I'm guessing is her neck, or her chest, and forces her down, and then s turns the drill back on, and then impales her. And people have made a big deal about the shot as well, where he impales her, the fact that the drill is coming from between her between his legs, and it looks very phallic. Palma said he didn't intend it that way. Come on. Necessarily 100% believe in. It's like... If he didn't intend that way, like, maybe not consciously, but, like, that that feels too too much of a De Palma thing. Like, that seems like the kind of thing he would be drawn to doing. Yeah. Like, uh, when, well, Jake is uh, downstairs being attacked by the dog, and the joggers are trying to get the dog off of him, and I like how... Jake is lying on the ground, and above him, through the ceiling, he sees um, the drill bit coming through the ceiling, and, you know, it's, it's all bloody. The blood just pours out, and it's just... That's maybe the nastiest kill in any De Palma film, with the possible exception of Angie Dickinson in Dress to Kill, 
where it feels especially cruel on his part. And and I get it, because it's meant to be one of the driving incidents of the film, and it's very much an, an audience thing, like, because when we get to the end of the film, it gives Jake his heroic moment of sorts. But you think of, like, Gloria's whole journey throughout this film to wind up being really brutally murdered in, like, the most horrific fashion. And, yeah, you just, you feel really sorry for her, and it's just quite horrible to watch, and, like, especially, like, the shot of the Indian leaving the drill in pale dinner and taking, like, you can see he's still got his boot on her chest, and he's, like, getting up, and he, like, can hear Jake coming up the stairs, and it's just a shot of Gloria's lifeless face. And it's genuinely horrifying. It's, I don't know, d d does it sort of get the similar response out of you? Yeah, it's definitely another scene in the Palma where it's thrilling to watch, but, you know, there's also, it has a tragic outcome, and, you know, so it, great filmmaking, but it also kind of, you know, kind of is important for the second half of the movie, so she can, so... Jake can kind of avenge Gloria. Hmm. And it's, um, it is that kind of perversion of the hero's journey as well, the fact that the hero doesn't get the girl and he doesn't save the girl, he doesn't because it's one of the popular tropes is the idea of the hero saving the damsel or saving the princess. And that's it's subverted in this case where he doesn't save her, and it's yeah, it's really sad, but it's very well done. And yeah, the Indian quietly escaping as Jake is distracted by seeing Gloria's dead body, and then after the Indian escapes, the film cuts to some time later. And we introduce one of our main characters for the second half, which is... I forget which actor plays this guy, but his name is... And I love the line where he introduces himself. I'm Detective McLean. It's just... It's so it's such a deflating line. Where he just like, approaches Jake... And, like, Jake's got, like, a towel wrapped around him or a blanket or something. And he just kind of approaches him and starts asking him questions. Uh, what's the name of this actor? Uh, he's, you know, he's only in a couple scenes, but he, I think he's really funny. He gets some really, you know, some really good lines where he's kind of, kind of calling out some of Jake's, you know, Strange behavior. Hmm. 
Guy Boyd, who, and I always, whenever he says I'm Detective McQueen, it makes me think of John McQueen, but it's actually spelt differently looking at it on Wikipedia. It's because John McQueen is L-A-N-E, and this is L-E-A-N. But it's it's one of these things that obviously De Palma couldn't have known about like four years later that we'd have a character called John McLean sort of burning up the silver screen in the guise of Bruce Willis. But yeah, it always amuses me. And like you say, he just kind of... He's the one that really it emphasises the consequences of everything that Jake has done in the first half of the film. And the idea that, like, he's asking her, he's asking him about why he was following Gloria, about what his interest was, whether he was in a relationship, and that stings as well, like, his assumption that Jake was obviously having sex with her, obviously having an affair, when, of course, Jake never did have sex with her, which just stings him as well. It's like another sort of tiny blow to his masculinity. And, yeah, it keeps going on. And, like, the only reason he doesn't consider him a prime suspect is because he has the joggers to place him at the scene. And, like, he knows that, like, well, obviously he can't have committed the murder. And also, crucially, he knows that the husband couldn't have committed the murder, Gloria's husband, because Jake saw the Indian doing it. And, yeah, this whole stretch is really quite sobering. It's very much the film pausing from, like, De Palma's, like entertaining indulgences as it were to sort of drive home the the serious side of what Jake has been doing the fact that like his actions have had consequences and this of course is where the underwear comes back into play because he spots the panties peeking out of Jake's pocket and has questions. <laughs> like, well, well, what have we here? <laughs> he, he's kind of almost the audience at that point. He's like, why do you have these? And, like, that ties into, like, the idea that he assumes, well, obviously you must have had sex with Gloria. You've kept these as a souvenir. And he's like, no, it's not like that. And, like, I love Jake's line, like, he says, you follow her, you have sex with her, you take her panties. And Jake's like, you got a dirty mind, man. Um, but yeah, that whole bit, and like, he's clearly, like, he, he figures out that Jake was, like, playing the hero or wanting to play the hero, and that ties into, like, and he brings up his acting career as well, he says, I hear you're an actor, yeah, you been in anything? And 
was it? I think he says like he's been in heart to heart or something. Um, so he, like he 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 does kind of peg Sully as being like someone who wants to be a hero, which that that is something to do with his acting as well. The fact that the character is an actor, so like maybe it's like the fact that. He's cast himself in this dream role of like this heroic character that he's always wanted to be, and like this whole film is kind of a wish fulfillment fantasy for him. And yeah, obviously the wish has not come true, and there's that really quite nasty shot of the coroner's lugging Gloria's body in the body bag. And, like, I think Jake says, I was trying to save her, and then they come through, and McLean goes, some save, Scully. Yeah, and, um, McLean tells him, uh, that he thinks it's Jake's fault that Gloria's dead, which, you know, definitely kind of wounds Jake. I think it's a, it's a tad harsh. But you can sense that there is some truth to the idea that it's... Well, for one thing, the fact that he... And he blames the claustrophobia as well because he couldn't get the key card, which it turns out that the whole reason that the Indian could get in was because of the key card that he stole from her purse. And so there's that, but also the fact that, like, Jake runs to save Gloria rather than calling the police. And I think there is that, but, yeah, just, like, Jake's whole... Like, everything he's done up to this point, McLean can kind of suss out and sort of say, you know... Like, you've tried to play the hero, you've tried to have sex with this woman and, like, pursue her and pursue this fantasy figure and all it's done is lead to her death. And he is harsh, but at the same time, like, you you get it because he has no sympathy for Scully. And, yeah, this... This leads into a particularly interesting bit for me, which is where we cut back to Scully back at the house, and it's the middle of the night, and he's on the he's on the rotating bed, isn't he? And and it is actually rotating, and I think that's the first time we see him using the rotating function. <laughs> that's perhaps symbolizing that he's spinning out of control at this point. And, yeah, he's got the TV on, and it must be on, like, a late-night adult TV channel or something, because it's basically, like, I think when we first see it, it's like an interview with a porn star. And I think I read something, like, isn't, like, the lady being interviewed, like, an actual adult film actress from yeah, the I time? Think so.
Oh yes, it says it there's quite a few real life adult performers listed in this. And oh that's I didn't know this. I I've never spotted him, but Stephen Bauer, who played uh, Manny in Scarface, apparently has a cameo as a male porn star in this. Yeah, I didn't notice him. I'll, I'll have to Google images. I hope that there's like Stephen Bauer body double. Maybe it'll have a photo of him. Which, actually, hang on a second. It says here that Stephen Bauer was he married to Melanie Griffith? I did not know this. <laughs> Oh wow, that's, yeah, married 1981, divorced 1989, wow. That's amazing. And, th and that's probably how Melanie Griffith might have met De Palma as well. Which, and this does tie actually to, I, I read this on like, one of the top letterboxed reviews for Body Double, a quote that someone referenced from Stephen Bauer, which is Stephen Bauer watched Scarface with De Palma, and he says they're going to hate this in Hollywood because it's about them. And then that can apply like tenfold to Body Double because it is all about Hollywood and like all the worst aspects of it. I read somebody say that it equates. Hollywood and the porn industry and it kind of says they're they're not separate entities they're kind of they operate kind of in the same ways certainly like back then probably very much so and nowadays like well, I guess OnlyFans has kind of changed things. That's, like, one of the big things now, where, like, it's kind of... Basically, anyone can do this stuff now. They just need internet access. But, like... Yeah, certainly back then, because, like, Boogie Nights kind of touches on this, and this is, like, tying into, like, the timeline of Boogie Nights, where Boogie Nights is all about, like, the 70s being the heyday of, like, the quote-unquote golden age of porn where it was like all done on film and it was they were made like actual films <laughs> like and i mean it seems strange to think about now but the movie deep throat was one of the most successful films of that period because people actually went to cinemas to watch pornography <laughs> which seems very strange to think about now but yeah, and like, I think there is a line in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood about that, isn't there? Like, about like, when Sharon Tate and her friends are going to dinner, there's like a dirty movie premiere down the road, and Sharon's like, dirty movies have premieres? The gag being that the theatre that they're having the premiere at is the theatre that would become the new Beverly, which Tarantino now owns. So, but yeah, and it, it kind of ties in, like, it would be interesting to watch Boogie Nights and Body Double back-to-back, -back, 
given that like especially like the body double is probably set around the time that Boogie Nights ends in the 80s with like the rise of adult entertainment on VHS because okay like the whole thing with this scene is like we see the interview and then like it starts showing it, it's a trailer isn't it for like Holly does Hollywood And this is where we properly introduce Melanie Griffith. And as soon as she comes on screen as Holly Body, it's like the f the entire energy of the film kind of pivots to her. And we'll, we'll talk more about Holly as we go on, but I think Melanie Griffith is one of the performances that steals this film. And... Yeah, like, you absolutely buy her as this character. She gets some of the best lines in the film and some of the best moments in the second half of the film. And, yeah, she just has such a fun presence. And her and Wasson play off each other really nicely, I think. Like, there's just this whole dynamic between them that's completely different from the dynamic that they tease between Wasson and Deborah Shelton. Like, the energy with Melanie Griffith is completely different. Which is really fun. But, yeah, like, he watches the trailer for Holly Does Hollywood, and he's kind of, like, absentmindedly, like, he's, he's drinking, he looks slightly unshaven, and he's just, like, depressed. And it gets to a bit where, like, he sees Holly dancing. And, like, I think she's, like, mostly naked. And, but he's, she's doing a very distinctive dance. And then Pino Donaggio's telescope music kicks back in. And it's so fun, this moment. Where, like, Jake is watching this absentmindedly. And then he recognises the dance. And also, like, she has, like... Oh no, I don't think he notices this at first, but like he recognises her dancing and he's like Hang on. <laughs> he's got this moment of putting two and two together. And I love the next scene as well, like, because he he turns the TV off and he goes down and like I've no idea how far he is to travel, but he goes to like an all night like records and video store or something. And it's not Amoeba, is it? Or is it... No, it's Tower Records. And which... Are they still in business? Not, I'm not sure. There's a... Did you notice there's like a... Raiders poster? Oh, yes. I, I saw Raiders. I... I I didn't pause, but I could have easily paused to, like, look at all the terror records in international retail, right? Which is formerly based in Sacramento from 1960 until 2006. Ah, so they're, they're out of business. It's, um, although they have relaunched as an online retailer, it says here. 
so that's cool. But yeah, I was so tempted when re-watching the film this time to like just pause to look at all the videotapes. Do you think there's like a Scarface tape in there somewhere or, or like another De Palma film? Uh, maybe um, there's a... Like on the IMDb Movie Connections page, maybe there's like you know, a list of the movies that... Uh, oh, I... Yeah, or on Upper Rental. I am looking at this now. I need to see if there's like a thing. Features. Do, 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 do. Oh yeah, it mentions um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. The poster can be seen in the video store. Ah, uh, doesn't mention anything about the VHS tapes. So someone will have done it. Someone will have done, like, a proper list of all the films that you can see there. It's like... the That, that was one of the cool things, admittedly, about uh, Captain Marvel when that came out. The fact that they recreated the 1995 blockbuster and it had, like, the True Lies, the standee, and, like, various other things. And it was just like, I was so tempted to freeze frame that and just like look at all the movies that was referencing all the covers, all the posters. So, yeah, maybe next time I pop body double in, I'll look at all the movies that are on display. But I love that he, <laughs> you see him go in and he's like, do you, he goes right up to like the main counter and you can see there's an adult section that's signposted, but he I don't know if he notices it or if he just goes to the counter. It is late at night, so he's probably a bit dazed. But he's like, do you have Holly does Hollywood? It's in the adult section. <laughs> and, like, he he gets the guy to actually come with him to, like, get the videotape. Which, that's another lost art, I think. You don't get guys, like, you don't have an adult section at, uh, like... Like, I'm guessing Amoeba or HMV don't have the same equivalent now. It's like you'd have to go to a specialist store. It's like there's... <laughs> it's it's almost like a time portal, this, like this whole sort of world into what adult entertainment looked like in the 1980s. So, yeah, Jake gets Holly Does Hollywood... And I love, like, he's fast-forwarding through the whole thing until it gets to that specific shot of her dancing. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of that bit from Clockwork Orange. Which, I don't know if that was De Palma's intention, like, that scene in Clockwork Orange where you see Alex sleeping with the two women and it's fast-forwarded. Which, do you think that was deliberate, or is it just a coincidence? Could be deliberate. I know, you know, De Palma is a Kubrick fan, so it's possible. Maybe it's like a subconscious thing. But anyway, so like he... And the telescope music kicks back in, and... 
like Jake is watching. I love the contrast. Like he is watching intently this time. Like maybe he takes a swig from his drink, but like he is like flicking through, just waiting for it to get to that right moment. And then it finally gets to Holly dancing and he watches her dancing and he's like, he gets it. He's like, I like that he pieces it together almost immediately. Like maybe not every aspect of the plot that has been that he's been involved with, but like, oh, she was the one that I was watching. She, that wasn't Gloria. That was Holly. Holly was the one dancing in the window that I've been looking at through the telescope, and in particular, like as if to leave no ambiguity. Like we notice that. D Holly has, like, a tattoo of actual, like, Holly on her, on her posterior, which we could very noticeably see earlier when he was looking through the telescope at her dancing. Like, the fact that, like, she had a tattoo, so, like, maybe we assumed earlier that Gloria had that tattoo, but of course it was Holly instead. And... Yes, so what do we make of Jake's plan for this next section? I mean, it's like really him, you know, going undercover in a way. Which I mean, I love this. This is brilliant, this whole sort of sequence, this whole stretch of the film. But it's the fact that Jake basically comes in off the street, fight, finds the, um, like, I think he calls in advance, like, he finds the number for the production company that's making Holly's movies, finds out where they're based, goes down... Like, knows that they're auditioning for roles for her next film. And I love the bit where he goes into the office. And there's... I can't repeat this dialogue either. This guy, um... He uses a euphemism, which is another name for a chicken. Where And the line is, I'm not a stunt chicken, I'm an actor. And yeah, that's that's another one of those lines that I've always remembered. And yeah, Jake goes in and he um he reads the dialogue with the producer of the film who's what's the name of this actor again? Because isn't he in Scarface as well? I'm not sure. I think it is Al Israel as uh, Corso. Yeah, this this whole section's great. It's absolutely and this um like Corso well Al Israel the actor, he was the chainsaw wielding drug dealer in Scarface. It says here his character's name is Hector the Toad. And he also appears in Carlito's Way. But yeah, he's a Corso, the, um, is he the producer or the director? He must be the director. And like, he's auditioning 
Jake for this role. And like, yeah, it's interesting as well, the distinction between Jake auditioning for this film versus him at that meeting or we're in the film where there's like 15 people in the room. There's an interesting comparison to be made there. But um, do we have time to talk about the um, the relax sequence or, or will we save that for the next episode? I think we should save that for the next episode. But the scene ends with Jake. Asks, as He asks Al Israel a question. I, I think he... Israel like takes him tells tells him to take his clothes off, and Jake's like, "So, what happens in the scene, or why are we, why do we have sex in the scene?" And Al Israel says, "What are you, a method actor?" <laughs> That's brilliant. That's, yeah, I, I'm i really excited to talk about the next section as well, because I love this whole sequence. Well, that's it for this edition of Warren and Noble on Movies. I was Travis Warren. I was Matthew Noble. And we'll see you next time.